Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. A handful of things we're going to get into today in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. You know that baseball season is starting at the end of March this year, so it's only a couple weeks away from opening day. It's amazing how fast time has flown by. And as we're getting ready for the start of the season, you can start to kind of get a sense of where teams are at. And one of the things I'm going to talk about today is a team that a lot of people are intentionally riding off. And kind of because maybe they've soured on them, maybe they're pissed at them. But uh, the more you hear me talk about it, the more you'll know who I'm talking about. We're going to catch up on some uh, comments and uh, points that have been brought up through followers and listeners of the show. Um, A couple of them are baseball-centric. And one I'm going to start out today by talking about is, you know, you hear the story about the clubhouse manager of the Los Angeles Angels and actually the opponents, the visiting clubhouse attendant, getting fired for what seems to be proof that he was doctoring baseballs. Not only that, But your first reaction is you hear, oh, the Angels involved in a cheating scandal. No, this is actually somebody that's working for the Angels, but is helping the opposition, which, you know, hopefully this guy, if it's found that he did what he did, he shouldn't be allowed to work in in baseball in any way, shape or form. Again, I mean, this is an embarrassment to the game. Obviously, you have the Astros scandal and the, the cheating and the beating in the trash cans from 2017 and all the fallout from that and probably something that really since the end of the baseball winter, or actually since the beginning of the baseball winter meetings, it, it's been the story. It's been on and on constant chatter about the Astros, but this story comes out the angels choosing and, you know, I guess they have enough information to end up letting their clubhouse attendant, the guy that works in the visiting clubhouse go. And, you know, it's just amazing to think that not only would he be helping pitchers do something that they're not supposed to do and we understand you know you can break this down into you know the different levels of cheating and what is worse and what is not there and then i'll get into my monologue and talk about how cheating in baseball has existed since the game has started 150 years of cheating in baseball but we want to be selective and picky and choosy over who we take out our frustrations about a game that is has been corrupt has gone out of its way to be, you know, exclusive as opposed to inclusive. And from day one, the player has been looking to find whatever advantage it can have to make themselves look good, to make themselves better compensated, but also to give themselves the best opportunity to defeat their competition. So now you have a situation where I don't know if this guy's just bitter. I don't know if he maybe didn't get his appropriate raises over the course of the 30 years that he was working for the Los Angeles Angels. Maybe somewhere along the line he got a little bitter. And because of that, he starts helping out opponents, giving them different materials to be able to enhance, in some cases, the spin rate of the ball, but mostly to give the pitchers a better control of the ball and where it goes and where they when they throw it or how they throw it. So I thought this was odd. I don't think this is going to get anywhere near the close to the publicity that the Houston Astros got. But 
I do think it's interesting. It just shows, and, and the unfortunate thing about this, you have the Boston Red Sox who the conclusions to the investigation in regards to their cheating in 2018, and we know the connection between them and the 2017 Astros was Alex Cora and pretty much nobody else. As we're sitting there waiting on that, you know, you, you have uh, you're going to find other different things that are going to come out, and proof is going to be more relevant or more out there. The fact that players in baseball, teams in baseball, anybody that can find themselves an advantage will, in fact, do that. And it's something that's not going to change. You can put any sort of rule in there. You can ban people for life. You can suspend those that are in violations of these quote-unquote rules. But you're not going to stop players and teams and people associated with baseball from trying to find themselves an advantage. So the next thing I wanted to bring up, and this is a football-related point, there's been a lot of discussion about Tom Brady and where he's going to end up. And I think the more time goes by, the more you realize that it's getting more and more likely that Brady and the Patriots are going to come back. There might be a little bit of bad blood. Think about Brian Cashman and Derek Jeter in the New York Yankees a handful of years ago when Jeter was set to become a free agent. And Derek Jeter basically is trying to tell and remind the Yankees and Brian Cashman and Randy Levine and the people over in the Tampa offices of the New York Yankees that I'm Derek Jeter. I should be able to dictate when what my next contract should be, the length, the amount of dollars, and I should be able to give that to you. And Brian Cashman basically says, listen, we're paying you to be what Derek Jeter is going to be past now, not what Derek Jeter has been for the last 15 to 17 years. And there was a little bit of bad blood between Derek Jeter and the New York Yankees over the negotiation of Derek Jeter's last contract. And what ends up happening, Derek Jeter signs it. He ends up retiring when he retires. And it's all, you know, water under the bridge. That's it. It's all, you know, dirt under dirt. It's forgotten about. Derek Jeter's in the Hall of Fame. Yada, yada, yada. Number two is retired by the Yankees. He's one of the greatest Yankees of all time. I see a lot of similarities in what's going on with the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. Now, it may end differently. Tom Brady may end up signing a new contract with a new team, and we'll find out in a couple weeks, March 1st, the beginning of the NFL's uh, official calendar year or the new seasonal calendar. But I see a lot of similarities. I see that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, even though Kraft and Brady are still tight, my assumptions is that the Steinbrenner brothers and Derek Jeter managed to still be pretty tight over the years especially when negotiations going on for what turned out to be his last contract. So I, I see the understanding that Tom Brady, first of all, coming off his worst year last year, is going to be paid for what Tom Brady could be over the next couple years as opposed to what Tom Brady was over the past almost 20 years. And I know it's hard to do that because the guy has won six Super Bowls. He has been to nine Super Bowls. And like I said, Belichick and Brady together have been to more Super Bowls than any team in NFL history. And there's nothing that's going to happen here, whether Brady signs with the Raiders or the Chargers or whoever else. I'm a Titans fan, and with all due respect to Tom Brady, I know he's an all-time great. I prefer he doesn't sign with the Titans, but whatever. 
wherever he ends up going is not going to take away what Tom Brady has meant to the league and the fact that he is going to go down in history as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, and most successful and winningest quarterback of all time. The Patriots are playing hardball. I doubt they're looking to pay him $30 million plus to be their quarterback next season. And that's probably where the standoff is. Now, Tom Brady could be talking out of both sides of his mouth. And once again, Tom Brady's not saying a whole lot. So anything that I say or any other talk show's host says is just speculation. Tom Brady may be saying out of one side of his mouth, hey, I want to be the most compensated quarterback in football. I want to get paid for what I've done for this franchise and what I've brought to this sport for the past 20 years. And out of the other side of his mouth may say, hey, we need room in our salary cap to be able to get me the appropriate weapons, to get me another speed-burning receiver, another solid tight end, uh, a couple more strong members of our offensive line to protect me. Maybe a piece or two on defense. You know, the Patriots defense last year was pretty good. Wasn't as good in the second half as the first half, but still got the job done. Was one of the best defenses in all of football. So Tom Brady's going to want all these other things, give him the best chance to win, but making $30 million or more as the quarterback of the team is going to keep or hamstring the New England Patriots and their ability to get him the appropriate other pieces that he needs for them to go out there for Super Bowl number seven to get to Super Bowl number ten. Which, if you look at it, a lot of a lot of skeptics will say that the Patriots are on their way down, and they may be. I mean, it's only inevitable. At some point, they're not going to be as dominant as they have been over the past twenty years. Naysayers, haters, anti-Patriot fans, or fans of other teams that aren't the New England Patriots, have been waiting to see things go towards the negative for a little while. Maybe it happens this year. Maybe Brady's part of it, maybe he isn't. But when it comes down to it, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see the best situation for everybody involved would be for Tom Brady, take maybe 20, 25 million, which we understand for what he's accomplished and what he's done, it's below market value for the back of his pro football card or profootballreference.com page. That would be the best for the Patriots for them to get the weapons and pieces he needs around them so the Patriots can go out there and compete for another Super Bowl. Now, while you hear all the discussion about, oh my God, Tom Brady, he might be playing for somebody else, everybody's got to throw a take in there. And you probably have heard at some point a connection to the majority of the other 31 NFL teams to Brady. Some of them you can make decent cases for. Others sound a little sillier. Like the New York Giants one. I mean, think about all the drama involved with Eli Manning last year. Jones, Daniel Jones, takes over the starting quarterback job for the Giants. He's the guy for the future. Nothing happened last year outside of a couple turnovers here and there and some rookie mistakes. That's going to make Dave Gettleman and the New York Giants think that Daniel Jones is not going to be the quarterback for the New York football Giants in the future. Eli Manning retires. Yes, 
the Giants will need to bring a backup, a veteran, a proven quarterback, a proven commodity to, number one, be there in case Daniel Jones gets hurt, but also to be there to push him a little bit, hopefully mentor him in the same way or a useful way that Eli Manning did. And you know what? If something happens, maybe Jones doesn't play so well, maybe that guy gets a chance to play. But could you imagine? And, and, and I know this. a lot of this is New York talk show hosts, the same group, you know, the SNY crew, the WFAN crew, people, unfortunately, that have people that work behind the scenes that just go out of their way to try to make something out of nothing. Was there any truth to the thought that Tom Brady would be playing for the New York Giants? First of all, Tom Brady is not going anywhere where he's not going to be guaranteed the opportunity to start. Tom Brady is not going anywhere in this coming year to compete to be a starting quarterback anywhere. He is going there to be the man. And whoever is there, whether it's a, an up-and-comer like a Daniel Jones, whether it's somebody that just happens to be on the roster, is going to play second fiddle to Tom Brady. So once again, this is – and I, I'm not going to call out names because I, I, I respect those that host talk shows in New York City. But that was one of the lousiest things you ever created. I will make a case about one scenario that makes a little bit of sense. And that, to me, is the thought of Brady potentially in a weird um, conspiracy theory type, type of way, because you would need some help for this to happen, to go to the San Francisco 49ers. And let me throw this scenario out there, because it's going to take a little explanation. It's not something I'm going to be able to do to say, yeah, he's going there and it's going to make sense. You know about the connection to Garoppolo and the Patriots. I think at some point you will figure out if this ends up coming to fruition, how much or how much faith Bill Belichick has in Garoppolo. And the thought would obviously have to start or this happening would have to begin with Garoppolo being traded to the New England Patriots. The likeliness of Garoppolo being moved anywhere would be pretty tough because the 49ers do believe a lot in him. But let's say... Even after a good season, a year that brings them to the Super Bowl, let's say when push comes to shove, the San Francisco 49ers don't believe that Jimmy Garoppolo is the man to lead them to the Super Bowl. It's not to say that they believe Tom Brady is, but maybe they look in the upcoming draft, maybe they look in the next two drafts, and they believe that they could take their quarterback this year. That's going to be the quarterback of their future. The guy that they can groom, the guy that Kyle Shanahan can go arm in arm with and learn that San Francisco 49ers offense and be the quarterback for the next 10 to 15 years. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what would that take? 49ers are not going to move Jimmy Garoppolo for anything less than a first round draft pick. So let's say the Patriots say, hey, sure. You know, we, uh, we, we got some value for you when we dealt you there in the first place. And here, here's a first-round draft pick. Here's our first-round draft pick for next year. And all of a sudden, Jimmy Garoppolo goes and is playing for the New England Patriots, which you know will lead to the door kind of being opened up for Tom Brady to be shoved out there 
in the realm of NFL free agency. And let's say you go full circle. Tom Brady signs with the San Francisco 49ers. Now, on the surface, right off the bat, it may not seem like an immediate upgrade for the 49ers because the 49ers will be taking a player in Garoppolo who is expected to be the quarterback for them for the next five to ten years and replacing him with a legend, but a legend that may only be around for another year or two. And if somehow things work out absolutely perfect, three years. But I'm looking deeper than that. I'm looking for the 49ers plan of the future, which is to take the five to 10 years that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be behind center and change it to 10 to 15 years with this young quarterback that you're going to draft in the upcoming draft. It probably won't be Tua. It definitely won't be Joe Burrow. It won't be Jordan Love. But maybe there's some quarterback, somebody that they see somebody in that'll be around in a latter part of the first round of this next NFL draft. And maybe he sits a year under Brady or two years under Brady and becomes that quarterback. You take your chance in the next year or two with Brady winning a Super Bowl. But at the same time, part of the agreement, part of the signing of Tom Brady is phase two of his NFL career, something he was not willing to do as the quarterback of the New England Patriots is for him to mentor his successor. And if Tom Brady doesn't want to do that at this stage of his career and his football life, then I'd understand why the Patriots would want to move on from him. Because at some point, they're going to have to. And it would work out for the 49ers, move Garoppolo, get a number one pick, draft yourself a quarterback, sit under Brady, sit with Kyle Shanahan, take a chance at a Super Bowl this year and maybe next year with Brady. But then after that, have a young quarterback that number one is on a rookie contract that's going to allow you to be able to compensate the rest of your roster around him and retain players, especially defensive players, that have been part of the strength of your football team last year and probably expected to be in the future. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or the use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or the use of the program, such as by charging admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So we started out the show kind of laughing about the clubhouse manager, the visiting clubhouse manager with the Los Angeles Angels losing his job, apparently helping opponents, pitchers, Dr. Baseballs. We talked a little bit about Tom Brady. A couple people have asked me some Brady questions. I just thought in a conspiracy theory scenario that could work out for the San Francisco 49ers, most likely Brady, Belichick, Kraft, the Patriots, they're all going to be together next year. So, I'm hearing some lazy takes out there when it comes to the Houston Astros. And I understand they're going to come into this baseball season as America's villain. If you're a Houston Astros fan, listen, you probably couldn't throw. It couldn't be possible to throw any more support behind this guy, behind a a, a team that means so much to you and your city and you as a fan. Won the World Series a couple years ago, but we know that the remnants of that World Series championship are stinking a little bit. 
there is some taint to it. There is a, a little bit of disbelief in the validity of that World Series championship. And it's, it's kind of getting to a point where writers and fans, people are just so upset with the Houston Astros. They're so pissed off with how they can get away with doing what they're doing. And, you know, the investigation by Major League Baseball and the manager and the general manager getting suspended for a year, then getting fired, and Alex Cora getting fired, and Carlos Beltran getting fired. All those guys essentially being the scapegoats to something that we know was player-driven. The players, as they're getting set for spring training and ready for the 2020 baseball season, just kind of bypassing responsibility when it came to this. And fans are getting more and more pissed off. But the one aspect, and I mentioned the word lazy before because I think this is an extremely lazy take. Those that believe that the Houston Astros are going to struggle this year because of all the aftermath of this, because the pressure from the media is going to be a little tough, because they pissed off their opponents. So therefore, it doesn't matter how talented the Houston Astros are. All of a sudden, they're going to crumble. Now this is going to be the Oakland Athletics season. Now this is going to be the Los Angeles Angels season. The Texas Rangers are better. Hey, even the Seattle Mariners and Jared Kelenic. There's people out there that are actually picking the Houston Astros to finish in last place. Now, they don't have any credentials. They don't have a job in baseball. But those are the bitter, angry fans of other teams that think that because the Houston Astros, whatever level they cheated, they obviously did something wrong. They were devious. They gave themselves an unfair advantage, something that they were sanctioned for by Major League Baseball. The $50 million in fines, the loss of draft picks, the loss of jobs within the organization, the cavalier attitude by the Astros players resonating very negatively with fans, particularly other fans of other different teams. And, you know, people think because of that, the Astros, they're going to finish in last place. The Astros, ah, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. Do they not still have Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa and Alex Bregman and Georgie Springer and Justin Verlander coming off of a Cy Young? Jordan Alvarez, the rookie of the year. Are you telling me that this is a bad baseball team? Are you telling me that this team is going to do bad just because you're mad at them? Because you're angry. Now, I understand why you're upset, but you're going to tell me that this is, that's enough just because you're pissed off that the Astros are going to go out there and miss the playoffs this year? I'll tell you this. It's going to take a lot for the Astros to miss the playoffs this year. They're going to need to have some injuries. They're going to need to have some players, some star players that have been great over the last several seasons take major steps back. I don't think it's going to happen. Talent in baseball usually shines. Now, I'm not guaranteeing you that the Houston Astros are getting to the World Series, but I'm pretty close to guaranteeing you that the Houston Astros are making the playoffs this year. They're going to make a run to win 100 games like they have each of the last three seasons. Like I said, injuries could hit them the way injuries have hit the New York Yankees. Injuries could hit them the way a lot of very good baseball teams have been you know, decimated over the past several seasons. That's always possible. We know one of the variables 
that can change the outlook of a season is health. You can't predict once a season starts whether your team will remain intact. In some way, shape, or form, it's going to change. Somebody's going to get hurt. Could it be your best player? Could it be a series of your best players? Could it be players that get hurt to a point where it's impossible to replace those players with quality major leaguers? If that's the case, the Astros may be in trouble. But you could say that about any team in baseball. So for those of you that are going out there saying, oh, the Astros aren't going to make the playoffs, I think you're letting the biasness that you have against the Houston Astros because of what they did and what they essentially got away with. That may be bothering you. That may be something that you don't really want to endorse. But you have to understand, and even if you don't respect this, it's the fact that the Astros have a good baseball team, good players, and still, you may want to say that the New York Yankees are the favorites to get to the World Series and represent the American League. They got to get through the Houston Astros. The Astros beat them last year. The Astros have put together a team that doesn't have Garrett Cole, doesn't have Will Harris. But outside of that, they're bringing back everybody else that has won 100 games over the past three seasons. And you tell me the Oakland Athletics have a better baseball team? You tell me the Los Angeles Angels have a better baseball team? Listen, they're going for them. They're going out there and competing. Well, a lot's going to have to go wrong with the Houston Astros for them not to win that division in the American League West. They're going to say, hey, you have this scandal hanging over them. They're going to be booed in opposing ballparks. They're going to get tired of hearing the same thing over and over again. Okay, I get it. I understand what you're saying, but it's not enough to derail single-handedly a team that has this much talent. Players that are in that clubhouse aren't riding on each other. They're still unified. And actually, with a good baseball man and Dusty Baker, that probably might be enough to unify them to bring their best talents to the forefront. You may want to say in year number four, after winning 100 games three straight seasons, the Astros may be due for a letdown. You know what? You, you've done it before. You won a World Series championship. You won three straight division titles. You won two American League pennants in the last three years. Maybe it gets a little old. Maybe it gets a little harder to duplicate. But you know what has happened? And it's all the fault of the Houston Astros, but it could turn out to be the biggest motivation for this ball club coming into this season. Now they've got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Everything they've done over the last three years has been questioned. You tell me you're not going to get the best effort for the Houston Astros coming into this baseball season in 2020? Is there going to be a bigger chip on the shoulder of any team in Major League Baseball, whether you like them or hate them, than the Houston Astros? So you say they're going to miss the playoffs because opponents, fans are booing them because of constant media coverage? Come on. Last couple points we're going to get to, and I, I'm, I'm always so happy to you know, get takes and get questions through fans and people that follow the show. One of them was in regards to Zach Wheeler. How is he going to do with the Philadelphia Phillies this year? Was he overpaid? 
by the Phillies in his upcoming contract that he just got five years, $118 million. And I remember the, the back page of the Philadelphia uh, papers when Wheeler signed. 118 Wheeler was the headline. Phillies backup truck for Mets pitcher. And Zach Wheeler's never going to be looked at, at least from his past, if you look back at his baseball card or his baseball reference page. He's not going to be looked at as an ace. He's not on the level of Jacob DeGrom, probably not on the level of Noah Syndergaard in regards to where he ranked with the New York Mets. But he had a couple of good seasons and is entering the prime of his career. And I will make a case, and I've said this offline to friends before, you may look at Zach Wheeler's contract and assume that he stays healthy, and I hope he does. You know, he had the major Tommy John surgery, which cost him two full seasons, and then his first full season back was never really able to get back at full strength. So it really cost him three seasons. So as long as the injuries are behind him, I'd like to think that the five years of Zach Wheeler's contract, when he's going to be compensated, the most amount of money that he ever will get over the course of his baseball career could actually be the five best seasons of his baseball career. Now, if you're a Mets fan, you don't really like to hear that. Does he have another level in him? Can he go from being a number two or a number three starter to the leader in the ace with the Philadelphia Phillies? That's what they're hoping for. But I think these next five seasons, as long as Zach Wheeler is healthy, will be the five best of his career. And you talk about contracts in baseball out of hamstring teams because players get big contracts to get compensated for what they did before. And there's a chance with Zach Wheeler that he is at a point where he's going to have the five best years of his career, coincidentally, during his five best earning years. And that may be something unprecedented in baseball. And you may start to think of pitchers that may be in a similar situation, went through Tommy John surgery, kind of saw a little bit of the uptick in the middle and the latter years of their arbitration years, and finally hit free agency. Patrick Corbin's a fine example. Patrick Corbin, not really a Cy Young candidate, was really good in his last year, got a huge deal with the Washington Nationals. Maybe the six best years of his career are going to be the six years wearing the Washington Nationals uniform and earning the $140 million that he's getting. You put that together with Zach Wheeler, and let's say both of those things pan out, it may change the trend in how starting pitchers are compensated down the road. The arbitration years, the extensions that are made within the arbitration process, maybe teams will allow those players to hit free agency to say, hey, when free agency starts for them, that's going to be the prime years that that player is going to deliver money off the dollar. So they should be compensated as much as they are over the prime years in a major league baseball career. And the last thing we'll finish the show off with today, we'll be back with you tomorrow, by the way, past ball show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. A little update on the schedule. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning talking about everything baseball, sports, and unifying America. Next week, we're going to knock out a show probably Wednesday and Thursday. So back-to-back days will be Wednesday and Thursday. The following week, 
might be a little tougher. It might be something like a Monday and a Saturday or a Friday and a Saturday because we're heading back down to Port St. Lucie, Florida, catch a Mets-Twins game. The following week after that is opening day, which will be down in uh, City Field watching the Mets open a season against the Washington Nationals. So it's only fitting that a couple, a couple of listeners have thrown in, hey, what, what are your thoughts, John, on the upcoming 2020 New York Mets? And it made me think about the 58 years in a history of this franchise and the fact that out, the outlook has also been has has often been a lot worse than it is right now. I've I've come into seasons as a fan, and I know any other fan of the New York Mets has felt the same way, where yeah, you're just hoping to get close to 500, where you're just hoping to to have a chance to have a couple bright spots. And I think the Mets are well above that. You got the two-time defending Cy Young Award winner. And Jacob DeGrom, you got Pete Alonzo coming off of his 53 home run season as a rookie. Jeff McNeil, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman. By the way, you know, the construction of those great arms that you have in regards to pitchers is not going to last forever. You know about the Achilles heel, which exists, and it's the bullpen. Edwin Diaz may single-handedly be able to play more of a role for the New York Mets than any other single player can play for any other team in Major League Baseball. And that may include Mike Trout. That may include, you know, the likes of, you know, Christian Yelich or Alex Bregman or Justin Verlander. One player, Edwin Diaz, can be what he was two years ago, a lights-out closer with a sweeping slider, 57 saves, you know, a billion strikeouts, or he could be what he was last year, and that's leading the league in hanging sliders, 15 ninth-inning home runs. And you could tell the how a season could change based off of how good Edwin Diaz is. But to finish off the first point I was talking about, to me, I think of some of the best New York Mets teams, and I don't think this team ranks up with them. It's not the 1986 Mets or the 88 Mets. I thought the 88 Mets, in spite of losing the NLCS to the Dodgers, were one of the best constructed teams that the New York Mets as a franchise have ever had. The 2006 Mets were good. You know, they got uh, stopped by the St. Louis Cardinals in Game 7 of the NLCS. 2015 Mets was kind of a work in progress. Coming into that season, fans weren't saying, hey, this team's going to the World Series. They said, hey, maybe it could be a playoff team. Maybe he could take a couple steps, finish with a winning record. But nobody nobody was going out there expecting the Mets of 2015 to get to the World Series. So I'm saying it's a, a top 10 team amongst the 58, maybe a top 15. If you're ranking the 58 teams in the history of the New York Mets franchise, you know there's been many bad ones. Uh, the pitching is going to be very important. The guys that are assembled on that staff, I know they got a six-starter. It's very important that those guys stay healthy, but it's going to come down to the bullpen. Edwin Diaz is going to go out there, and he's going to be the closer. He may get a chance opening day at home against the Washington Nationals. And if he blows a save that first day, if he gives up a home run to Juan Soto in the ninth inning, it's going to set the karma in a negative way. And I understand Seth Lugo stepped up last year. He gives you thoughts that he could be a closer for you. Jairus Familia dropped 30 pounds. Coming off of his worst season as a pro, you expect him to be a little bit better. Justin Wilson, when he was healthy last year, was great. 
you add Dylan Batances, who probably won't be on the opening day roster. He may start the season on the disabled or the injured list. I apologize. Hopefully we didn't offend any disabled people. So the bullpen with Batances, Brad Brock there for a full season, maybe Chasen Shreve could uh, take that transport and be a little more than a, a loogie. Maybe he's an upgrade for Luis Avalon. I don't know. But Diaz and Familia, but particularly Diaz, are going to have a lot to say in how good this team is. Now, you can talk about injuries. You can talk about one of the things that worked for the Mets last year, and it was the fact that they remained healthy. Everybody on that roster remained healthy. They had very few injuries that they had to deal with last year, and very few were major. Can they get through the season without any major injuries this year? If they do, I think they got a great chance. I think they are every bit as good as the Philadelphia Phillies. I think they are every bit as good as the Washington Nationals. Now, the Washington Nationals took a step back because they no longer have Anthony Rendon. They still have a hell of a baseball team. They're the defending World Series champions for a reason. The Atlanta Braves, they improved their bullpen. No more Josh Donaldson. They brought in Marzell Ozuna. It's going to be a very competitive NL East. Do I think the Mets have enough to win that division? I I think they could, but I'm not picking them. I still like the Braves. I still like the Nats. And I think the Phillies, the effort that they're putting behind with their new manager, with Gregorius, with Zach Wheeler, as we hit what we'll call the concluding point of the pass ball show today, they're better. Mets didn't make any crazy moves this offseason. They lost Wheeler. Ioannis Cespedes could be ready, if not for opening day. Imagine him coming back in April and just having his bat in the lineup. I think there's a reason to be excited if you're a fan of any team in the NL East. Do I think the Mets are winning a World Series this year? No, but I think they had a very good chance of making the playoffs. I think it's going to be a very competitive season. I think they could finish anywhere between, you know, about 82 and 90 games in regards to how many they'll win. Do I think it's likely, I think it's more likely between 85 and 90 games they should win, assuming everybody's healthy. Do you want to thank everybody for tuning in? This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. By Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. By St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We'll be back with you tomorrow. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.